Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. In today's message, Pastor Rod kicks off our summer sermon series entitled Faith in Action, Lessons Learned from Old Testament Saints. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, July 18th, 2021. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to our summer series called Faith in Action, Lessons Learned from Old Testament Saints. From now until Labor Day weekend, we're going to be looking at different saints, biblical characters from the Old Testament that were referenced in the New Testament, in particular in Hebrews chapter 11. These were people who acted on what they knew about God and they were commended for their faith. For some time now, I've wanted to go and look at some of the characters in the Old Testament, and I thought that this summer would be a great way of being able to look at these men and women of faith and see what it was about their faith, what it was that they knew about God and what they acted on that ended up putting them in what is sometimes called the Hall of Faith. Now, you've probably heard about the Hall of Fame. Uh, It's for various sports, hockey, football, baseball. And when a particular athlete accomplishes certain stats, Uh, where he is better than his peers, for that reason, he is considered to be placed into the Hall of Fame. So you might know this guy here. This is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He plays for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I believe this last week he took one step closer to one day being considered to being put into the Hall of Fame uh, for baseball. He hit a home run in the All-Star game this last week, 468 feet long. That is huge. And this young man is the youngest MVP of an all-star game in, MB, in uh, MBL history, Major League MLB history. we got to get that straight. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So in Hebrews chapter 11, what we see is there are these people who were commended for their faith, which distinguished them from their peers because they knew something about God that they acted on. And I really want that message to come through. We've titled this Faith in Action because it isn't just faith as in knowledge or what I believe about God. It is what they know and believe about God put into action. Now, Hebrews 11 does not list every single person of faith in the Old Testament. Uh, For whatever reasons, this author has chosen certain ones to include in this list. Now, it um, it isn't too far off what we see in their lives as we study each of these. Uh, as to the challenges that we have in our own faith in walking with God today. So these people didn't see the whole picture, and nor do we. Now, we might see back the cross of Christ looking back, and we have a completer version of the picture, but we don't know the future exactly. We don't know how God is going to return, when he's going to return, um, what this is all going to look like. And so we live with some of these unfulfilled promises of God as well. They knew something They acted on it. We know something. We act on it as well. As the Apostle Paul says, we are people who still walk by faith, not by sight, because we're here and not there on the other side with God. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says it like this. It opens up by saying, now faith is in, pardon me, I'll give you the slide here. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. These men and women of God believed God's promise, his word, even when they didn't get to see it fully realized in their lifetime. In fact, verse 13 goes on to say, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. 
I can't help but think that this is kind of the reality that we live in our faith as well. Jesus is going to come back again, and he's going to put things in order, and we kind of wonder, well, when and how and what? And so we live as well, not yet fully seeing all that God has for us. This series is about learning to trust God, learning to trust his word, even when we don't see how everything's going to play out this side of heaven or in my lifetime. What did these Old Testament saints know about God that they could be commended for? What was it that they were promised, even though they didn't get to see the completion of it? And then that example of how they lived with that not knowing part, I believe is the part that translates over to us. That we would live with the same kind of trust in God and the same kind of heart for God that these people did, still not having all of the pieces in place. So journey with us as we explore uh, this together. Maybe you will want to read Hebrews chapter 11 and just kind of take a look at all the names that are listed there. Some of them are given very little information and others are given a, a broader context to understand them. Uh, the ones we're going to look at are Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Barak and Deborah, Samuel and David. In this summer series, we're going to have Pastor Rob and Pastor Tim preaching. And for the first time, our youth director, Richard Frankowitz, will be sharing one of the messages. And I've also asked Joel Correco if he would speak on one of our topics. In fact, when I put out to the group who would like to speak on Barak and, and uh, Deborah in jail, uh, Joel replied back first and said, I'll take that one. So I'm really excited about our resident PhD student. Uh, PhD student Joel Correco willing to take on uh, Barak and Deborah. You're going to have that on August 22nd. Now, the other thing you need to know is that we're going to be live streaming starting next Sunday. So if you are used to watching our services at 8.30 on a Sunday morning, next week you won't be able to. It will start at 10 a.m., just like the in-person indoor service at the worship center here. And uh, you can watch it live, or it'll be recorded there that you can watch afterwards. Just go to Facebook, type in sardisfellowship.com, live and you will find it there. So, let's get started. As our first Old Testament saint that we're going to look at today, I've chosen Noah. Now, he's not the first one referenced in Hebrews 11. Actually, it mentions Abel and it mentions Enoch and then it mentions Noah. I'm skipping over Abel and Enoch. Uh, you get the privilege of doing that when you set up a sermon series. Um, you know, Abel, he died and, um, and there's not much on him there. And Enoch, well, um, we couldn't find him. He just disappeared. So we're just skipping over Enoch and Abel. Sorry about that. Noah it is today. Now there's just one verse in Hebrews 11 that's dedicated to Noah. One verse to sum up four chapters. Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 is the story of Noah and it's summed up in verse 7 like this. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he can. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, I've titled this sermon series today, pardon me, this sermon today uh, on Noah, Trusting God When No One Else Does. There are many aspects of Noah's life that you could focus in on. I'm choosing this one in particular because when I look at his story, I see something amazing about the fact that he believed God and then he obeyed God, which resulted in salvation. The author of Hebrews seems to see this same message here because he looks at Noah's actions of building the ark when God had warned him about the coming um, flood and, and judgment. He sees it as an act of faith as well. 
Well, why is it an act of faith for Noah to build the ark? Well, simply because he didn't, he couldn't see what was coming. I mean, he, he couldn't see that destruction. And quite honestly, to build a boat in his time just didn't make sense anyway. So it was well outside the realm of kind of logic. He had to trust God on this one. He had to choose to believe God or not. Now, if God was wrong about this, then Noah basically wasted his life building a ridiculously large boat. But of course, God is right. And through that came salvation for Noah and his family and the rest of us in humanity. But the interesting part about Noah's act of faith is that he didn't know that up front, right? He wouldn't know that for years to come. I don't know how long it took. There's lots of thoughts around how long it took him to build the ark. But long enough that he could have given up along the way. Now, I believe that this is a really good example. In fact, a perfect example of our faith as well. We have a choice to make. We either trust God with what he says about life and death and eternity, and we act accordingly, or we don't. We do our own thing, and we live with the consequences of that decision. You don't get to see the outworking of your faith right away. You, you may have confirmations of it as you go along in life, but you don't see fully the outcome of it. And ultimately, it's not until your final breath that you go from this life into the next life that you realize uh, uh, the hope that Christ gives us for eternity. So it's not experienced in full until we die. But that's what faith is, right? It says right here, it's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So we don't see yet that which is to come, but our hope is in Christ and that is our assurance. When it comes right down to it, how I live my life is a statement of what I believe about God. And death is a great equalizer here because at the moment that we die, everything that I've put my hand to in this life does not survive. It's gone. It's done. It stays here. I go there. It's just me and God and what comes next in eternity. And I believe that's what our faith is all about, is banking on what comes next in eternity more so than what you think you can get out of this life while you're here. It says, in holy fear, Noah built an ark to save his family, which means he believed God, he acted on it, and that's what faith is. Before we get into the story itself, I just want to set it up a little bit with some context. So let's ask a few questions and answer them quickly. So when did Noah live? Well, he lived sometime after Adam and sometime before Abraham. Some estimate that it was around 2500 BC, before Christ. Where did he live? Well, Asia, Middle East, in the region of Mesopotamia, near the Euphrates River. What were the times like when Noah was alive? Pretty ugly, to be honest. In the in verse, well, the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 6, it kind of paints this picture. It lays out the wickedness of the times. It says that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine that? What did that look like? Verse 6 goes on to say, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. You know, we're about to read about God's punishment on humanity, and it's extreme. We, we may sometimes think, man, why is God so harsh with humans? At certain times you see that in Old Testament scripture. I mean, can he just leave them alone and, and surely they're going to be fine? We only think thoughts like that because we haven't lived through a time like Noah. We haven't lived with that context. 
when evil reigns supreme and there are no boundaries for the wickedness of the human heart, your heart would be deeply troubled too if you lived in that kind of a context. But some have lived through times like that, even in today's world. And, and judgment, it, when it happens, it's not a question of why is this judgment happening? It's actually a, a, a question of why did it take so long? When, when evil is so great, why is God so patient? Why doesn't he act sooner? And we have a bit of an answer to that question in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Now this is in regards to the return of Christ, but it's a principle. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so I think we can see that patience with God, with humanity, to turn to him. He is just. His judgment didn't come immediately. It was after a long period of time of warning. And Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So he was warning the people of his day. That's in 2 Peter chapter 2.5. God regretted having made humans. Now, I know there's a whole theological discussion around this idea of God, the language of God changing his mind in, in statements in the Old Testament. But without getting kind of sidetracked into how that works, here's what I want you just to simply see. Feel the pain of the situation. Just remember that in Genesis 1, God had said he created everything and it was good. And it's only a matter of a few chapters later, and we're seeing that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Like, how did you get there? How they got there was sin. Evil abounded without constraint, and God regretted making humans on the earth. I don't want to describe for us what that might have looked like, because I don't think I need to. I think we've seen enough and we've heard enough in this world to get a glimpse of how evil the human heart can be if left unrestrained. And then you take that and you multiply it, that every person is living with that kind of intention. It would be unimaginable. You would not say, God, why? You would say, God, when? What were the times like when Noah was alive? They were wicked. They were wicked. Now, Some of you may know that in the introduction to the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, the first eight verses mention some pretty interesting and mysterious things. It talks about the sons of God taking human women as wives and producing offspring by them, and these offspring were wicked, wicked people. Um, It it speaks about a people group or, or some kind of people called the Nephilim. And we wonder, well, who were they? It says the Nephilim who were on the earth in those days, heroes of renown. And we wonder, well, what is this all about? It's a good question. And perhaps that's part of your homework this week. If you want to go and do a little bit of interesting reading, there's various theories out there on the who, the what, and the how, and what was going on. But for our purpose here today, here's what I want you to realize, that that was part of the equation as to how come this wickedness on earth was so incredibly horrible. What did Noah know? About God, And I think this is good to understand, you know, where, where did he come chronologically in the story here? Um, he did not yet have the Ten Commandments. Moses wasn't on the scene yet, so he didn't have that vantage point. So what did he have? Well, we don't know exactly what he had, but we know this about him because it says that Noah found favor in God's eyes. And, and then it says 
And we wonder, well, how did he find favor in God's eyes? Well, it says that he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He drew near to God, and God drew near to him. Well, how did Noah know how to do this? Well, that part I don't know. It doesn't tell us. So maybe it was passed down from generation to generation, this expectation of God made in the image of God. Uh, You're to be stewards of the land. You're to treat one another like this. Maybe it was passed down. Maybe it was through observation of creation that he just realized this great God who created all of this, I am subject to him. Maybe it was built into his human conscience. Maybe it was God speaking these truths to Noah. We just don't know exactly how Noah knew this, but we do know this. He knew to not participate in the wickedness that was going on around him. He knew to fear God. So with those pieces of information uh, in the background, I would like us to look at Genesis uh, 6 to 9, but we're only going to read a portion of chapter 6. I'm not going to deal with all the details of the story today because predominantly what I'm wanting us to do is to look at the, the essence of the story and go, how does that Um, how does that story have a message to me today? What are the implications that come out of that story for my faith? Uh, Because we see in Noah that he put his faith in action. He trusted God even when no one else did. So that's what I want us to look at. How did he do that? So Genesis 6, 9 to 22, it reads like this. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Let's stop there for a moment. Wouldn't you like that inscribed on your epitaph, on your headstone? Rod Heppel, a righteous person, blameless, walked faithfully with God. I'd take that. I mean, isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we're trying to do with our faith is to live it out as a righteous person, blameless amongst the people, walking faithfully with God? Faith in action is righteousness, blamelessness, walking faithfully with God. That's gold. And that's how Noah is described. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy them, both them and the earth. So, Make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long. That's about 450 feet, which is about the distance that Vladdy Guerrero Jr. hit his home run this past week. It's to be 50 cubits wide, which is about 75 feet wide. It is to be 30 cubits high, which is about 45 feet high. Make a roof for it leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high. That's about a foot and a half, 18 inches, all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. 
Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You know, that last statement there is mentioned two more times. Once in Genesis 7.5 and again in Genesis 7.16. Faith in action. Here it is. Faith in action is Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And the question I have is, would you have done it? Well, you know, I, I kind of thought about that. And it kind of depends how convinced I was that it was really God that it was asking me to do this thing that seems a little bit crazy, right? I mean, let's face it. If I knew for sure that it was God, well, then I might see possibly how I could endure the mocking of other people because I'd rather believe God than, than people. But if I wasn't 100% sure of that, if I thought that maybe just that God told me to do this, then maybe I would actually begin to think I was crazy like the mockers, I'm sure, would have accused them of. So how did Noah know that this was the command of God? We don't know, but it does seem like God told them. Like it's an audible voice. That's how the text reads. And if so, that could be fairly convincing to know that this is God and this is what you should do. But even over time, you know, that could wear off. Uh, you could begin to second-guess yourself if you truly heard the voice of God to do this or not, and you might start to think that maybe you dreamed it up. What seems to be evident is that Noah had a lifetime of listening to the voice of God and obeying him. So much so that all the other voices that were speaking and enticing him uh, to be a part of this violence and debauchery, he ignored it. And what does it say? Rather, he walked faithfully with God. Righteous, blameless, faithful. Now, that's not far off of our experience as Christians today, how, you know, we, we have to live in such a way that we ignore the voices of the world around us and continue to say yes to God. But how many times have we heard in our heart uh, the truth of God's word, reading it or preached to us, and we go, yes, that's true, I believe it. But over time, we begin to wonder. And over time, we begin to wane and our commitment starts to give way, and we yield in, and we go directly against that thing that we knew to be true from God. When all the voices were telling Noah to go one way, he listened to the one voice of God to go the other way. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. That's pretty impressive, and that's what we need to do as well. Whatever you find yourself in by way of your personal struggle, if the world is saying to go this way, and God's word is telling you to go that way, you have your marching orders. You know this challenge. You must obey God, as Noah did. Whatever the case was, whether it be audible voice, Noah understood the command of God, and he had to do something with it. He had to act on it in order for his faith to truly be demonstrated. I mean, how would you know that his faith was true if he didn't actually obey and act on it? You can claim to believe whatever you want, but it's your actions that speak. You know what my first thought was when I read this about Noah? That he was a righteous man, blameless, and walked faithfully before God, and no one else did. So I'm picturing the context and the times in which he lived, and I asked myself this question. How? Like, how, how did he do it? How did he not get worn down by the messages and the voices of his day, by the crowds that would be uh, taunting him and trying to pull him in the direction? Because that's what happens with the crowds. They want everyone to go with them. 
Now, we know that Noah was not a perfect person. If you read the rest of the story, you'll see some of the issues he had. But his heart was in the right place with God, and he resisted going in the direction of those around them. He walked faithfully with God. Now, we live in a world where more and more and more so, there's a disregard for God, his very presence and existence. In fact, in certain circles, you'll be mocked just for believing that God is there. But even for the moral standard of God and what he expects of us, we're living in times where that's not encouraged by our world around us. But it's still not as bad as the time of Noah. And yet, what do we see today happening to us as Christians, those who claim to be Christ's followers, how are we being sucked into the thinking patterns of the world and the behaviors of the world that we know go contrary to God's word? It's happening, right? Christians lie, cheat, steal, covet, dishonor their parents, commit adultery, abuse others, are violent, get drunk, do drugs, have premarital sex, have extramarital affairs, become lazy, make excuses, aren't willing to work, neglect their kids, take advantage of others, live for the moment, expend all their energies building a kingdom of dirt, and basically buy into all the same kinds of sins that the flesh calls out for or the message of our world around us. That's not a very good picture. And don't worry, my sins are in there too. I live in this world. I know the pull of the world. I know what the world's message is. But it shouldn't be that way. Not for those who claim to follow Jesus. That's why I ask this question. How did Noah do it? Well, I can tell you this. It didn't happen by chance, and it didn't happen by doing nothing. It happened one step of obedience at a time. Moment after moment, day after day, consistently saying yes to God and no to the flesh and no to the world. It happened by saying no to a lot of what was going around him, and it happened by saying yes to the still small voice of God that was calling and tugging at his heart on the inside. That's how it works. That's how it works for us. That's how it worked for him. It happened by, by Noah drawing boundaries and not going to certain places and not participating in certain events and by making hard choices, digging deep into his character to stay on track when everything and everyone around him was pulling him away from God, he had to dig deep to keep walking faithfully with God. It happened because Noah lived out Romans 12, verse 2, millennia before the Apostle Paul even wrote these words. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Sometimes I think that we make our faith out to be more like magic than plain and simple obedience with hard work, which is hard work. We, we quote a verse like it's a magical formula and then we proceed to walk right into sin with our eyes wide open. Faith in action is about realizing that we must act on what we know in order to be true to God and his word. It's not just being able to quote the verse. In James it says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. It has no power. We don't, we don't just quote the verse, we, we act on it. You know, I've never heard the voice of God telling me to build an ark in order to be saved from coming judgment, but I have heard his command very clearly through the pages of scripture to trust in Jesus, to save myself from the coming judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as people are destined to die once, after that, they face judgment. That's the future. That's what's coming. How do I avoid that judgment? 
from being condemned. The hardest part of the Bible is not understanding what the message of it is. It's the doing part. It's not the knowing part, it's the doing part that we struggle with. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. How did he do it? How did he believe God that a flood would come and that he should build this boat? And it's because he listened to God's voice and he obeyed. He did that in his daily walk so that when the big crazy command of God came to build the boat, he was familiar with the voice of God and he knew how to obey it. And he built the boat. That's how it works for us in our life. Um, your life is actually like building an ark. It's complex. It's overwhelming at times. It's a lifelong calling. It's filled with all sorts of challenges and setbacks. Doing life God's way is, is the ark that you're building in your life. It takes a lifetime of listening to the voice of God through his word and obeying him. Listening and obeying. And we build our life around God. So what happened with Noah? Well, he and his family entered the ark along with all the animals that God brought to him. Then God closed the door. No one else believed. No one else came. No one else entered, just Noah and his family. The rains came for 150 days and flooded the earth, and all life was destroyed except for the one man and his family who believed God. You know, when I was reading this over, I'm thinking to myself, this sounds like the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, we know it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But what do a lot of people say to that? They say, no thanks. That's crazy talk. The son of God come into the world, dying across the rescue sinners like me, resurrected to life again. No thanks. Do you know what the next few verses are after John 3, 16? Here's the whole context for about five or six verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, Jesus. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You know, we, we have to step into the light and disclose our sin to Jesus. That's how this whole principle of listening and obeying and walking with God faithfully works. It's bringing our sin into the light and knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ covers it's over, over it. Uh, we need to stop hiding it as if God doesn't see it. It's in plain sight, it says here in this text. It's in plain sight to God. If we try to hide it, we're just playing a game, and it's a game you can't win. We need to repent of sin. We need to surrender our lives to Jesus. We need to live for him because he's our Lord. You know, there is a flood coming. It's a flood that you will not survive. When we die and we stand before Christ, if we don't stand in Christ, if we stand outside of Christ, then we're outside of the ark. The door's been shut. We drowned. There's condemnation. Jesus is the only Savior. 
So put your faith into action by trusting in Jesus and living your life for him. That's how Noah did it, saying no to the world and saying yes to God every day. So that when the big crazy command of God came, he knew to believe God and to build the ark. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 7, by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. In the Bible and in another place it says the righteous shall live by faith. But it also says, you know, that the faith of the righteous will be acted upon. And that's what we want to do with our faith. May Noah stand to us as a reminder that even when no one else is believing, even when the whole world says go this way and we know the truth of God's word, we need to follow him. We need to act on what we know to be right and to be true in order for our faith to be real. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are living in times that are difficult for sure. Maybe not quite like the times of Noah, but man, in some ways, not far off. And in certain places in this world, there's great violence and there's horrible wickedness being done human to human. God has got to trouble your heart deeply to see this. May we be a people who realize that there are voices around us calling us to go in a certain direction that, are com- that is completely contrary to your word, to your command, to what you have for us. May we today draw that line in the sand, trusting in you, listening to your voice over the other voices around us, that we would do right, that if a person today is living in a sin and they know it, that they would stop that sin, that they would repent of it and surrender their life to you. Father God, help us to live in such a way that we walk with you faithfully, blamelessly, as righteous people. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today online. I just want to let you know that next Sunday we will be doing that live streaming. So if you come here uh, at 10 a.m., you're going to be able to see it like online. Uh, Just go to Facebook, uh, SardisFellowship.com. No, sorry, Sardis Fellowship Baptist on Facebook and you'll see it. Um, and then if you're not clear on that, you can always call the office and we'll make sure you, you can find it for sure. Now, you can also join us in person for an in-person service. That happens at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings here at the Worship Center. Here are your discussion questions for today. What things do you see in our world today that go contrary to God's command? Talk about that. Secondly, have you ever been in a situation where it felt like everyone was going one way and you had to go the other way in order to obey God? How did you do it? And thirdly, in what ways do you see your faith being put into action on a daily basis? Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.